homeschool expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast. Hi, friend, and welcome to Homeschool Expert. I'm so excited to dive into this adventure story with you today as we talk with Melanie Watson, homeschool mom of four who went on an incredible bike ride. For those of us who think homeschooling is hard, she makes it look easy while doing it as well as biking across the country. 22 states in 12 months with two three-seater bicycles and four kids ages four through 10. While she and her husband were on this journey, I kept tabs on her adventures through a mutual friend and him really excited to have Melanie here to share the story with us in person. So Melanie, thank you for joining us on Homeschool Expert to inspire us with your story. It's my pleasure to be here. Yours is really such an incredible story, Melanie. Um, I'm, and I'm like I said, I'm excited to dive into it with you today. But before we do, could you first give us a little background on your family um, prior to your adventure? What were you and your husband doing for work? You know, where did you live? And were you already homeschooling? So my husband and I both grew up as military brats, and then he okay. continu- he carried the torch on into adulthood. So we c- had moved around a lot and were really from nowhere. At that time, we were living in Seattle. He was uh, His military duty station was being a graduate student at the University of Washington in Seattle. Hmm. So okay. I, what, was he, what was he studying there? Chemistry, analytical chemistry. Oh, great. Okay. And so were you working as well or home full-time with kiddos? No, I was home full-time with kiddos because uh, it's often hard in the military for the spouse to have a career because the military member is absent so much and Mm -hmm. to have any sort of continuity for the kids, I stayed home. Yes, that makes perfect sense. I was actually a contractor with the military overseas for a few years and saw a lot of that firsthand. And then my husband, uh, like you said, was child of an Air Force chaplain. So they moved almost yearly and I, you know, they have their own stories of what that meant to mom versus dad. So that makes total sense. Were you guys homeschooling already though in that format? Uh, we began homeschooling in Seattle. We had tried public school for a year and it it didn't fit us well. And uh, so we had we were concluding our second year of homeschooling when we departed on the bike tour. Okay. So that helps us sort of get a picture of who you were. And at that point, when you started homeschooling, how many kids did you have? I had four. So it was okay. a two, four, six, and eight-year-old at okay, when so we just, began homeschooling. Yeah. So the six and eight-year-old you were homeschooling and two and four were just along for the ride? Correct. At the onset. Okay. That's great. So then where did this idea for such an adventure come from? Um, I, you know, I gave a quick overview of it in the intro, but it'd be great to start with the why, and then we'll get to the how, uh, shortly thereafter. My oldest uh, was playing violin and we became friends with the family in the studio and they had mentioned how they, every summer they would go on family bike tours for a week to two weeks. And I, we were super intrigued because we liked riding bikes. It was pretty accessible for kids. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, we like camping and we like riding bikes. This, this, this is something we could do. And so we tried it. We did a, a 10 day tour in the San Juan islands. Oh, beautiful. And we loved it. 
So that had definitely whet our appetite for it. So you went from a 10-day tour to a 12-month tour? That or did you have other, get, other, no, other that, bridges in between? No, no other bridges. And that was a bit of a leap. Uh, but Well, some we, people could. I just, it's not beyond the realm of reason, but <laughs> so I'm trying to understand the story. So, uh, yeah. So we thought, well... We, we could do that. At the end of the 10 days, we were sad for it to be over. And mm. then other developments came up in our life where we had this earlier than expected exit from the military, but with the retirement attached to it. Mm. And uh, Nate, my husband, would be recently graduated. And we're like, well, we've had all this time to be together, but we've overscheduled ourselves and haven't embraced it. And so while he was in graduate school it was supposed to be this restorative time of him being home every night mm-hmm. and we're chasing our tails, trying to give the kids every opportunity and not relishing or savoring each other. So mm-hmm. that was kind of, we looked back on the bike tour and thought that was a pretty great fan family bonding experience. And if we have this new chapter, we can start, why not take a break before we start it? And just have this adventure that we could all participate in together. Hmm. That sounds like a really great why. I can understand that reasoning. Okay, so then let's try the how. Um, could you paint a picture for us of your actual setup, your day-to-day, you know, biking on the road? How, how was all this possible? And then where did homeschooling fit into this? Or did you just take a year hiatus from school? We did not take a year hiatus from school ahead of it took tremendous amount of planning to have us uh, I kind of off the grid for a year. So I worked hard mm. ahead of it to get the kids ahead in terms of grade level equivalencies with math and mm-hmm. with reading and the basics. Uh, Nate went to the energy of scanning curriculum teachers manuals into PDFs. So we wouldn't have that weight in bulk, but we still had that reference. But in terms of the daily, the daily or even weekly structure, it was very loose. I didn't want the reason the purpose of getting them ahead was so that when we came upon some opportunity or uh, that we could seize it and not have to no, we have to go do school right now. Yes. <laughs> so we're the there's a lot of bike paths all across the country and Lewis and Clark Trail was one of them. And sometimes there would be these kind of spontaneous things that would come up and that would prevent us from doing homeschool that day. But the kids were still educated in a different mean a different mm-hmm. method. Uh, but then aesthetic way to learn. Hey, let's actually walk the Lewis and Clark Trail instead of just reading about it. Right. It's rare. So it, they had learned about the Lewis and Clark Trail the year before. And in terms of inspiring them to learn cursive, that it wasn't just me wagging my finger at them because all these historical documents on these roadside signs of their documentation were in cursive. I mean, there was mm. a lot of well-rounded opportunities, but I wanted to make sure that we seized the opportunities and didn't miss it because if it was just going to be this slog where we bike to go as fast as possible every day. And and then when we're not biking, you're sitting at a picnic table doing schoolwork, then we would lose the hearts and minds. Mm. Um, so again, I, I did my best to get them as far ahead as possible, but we, and then it changed from season to season during the peak of the summer heat, we would try to 
schedule our day so that we would be in a town midday with a library where we could be in air conditioning or just have some reprieve mm. from the heat or Smart. be at a be at a park and st- sit in a pavilion and take over and do all of our, our coursework. We had to be careful because Imogen was fourth onset. And so if we went too far into the afternoon, she would get sleepy. So we, we had a number of things we were juggling in terms of schedule. But in the end, the kids, we probably fell a little bit behind on grammar, but all the other subjects we stayed we stayed on top of, and they, they came out either at grade level at the conclusion or maybe a little bit ahead. Grammar was something we did take the year off from, but we are not, we are now caught up. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't take that long to catch up on grammar. I've found, uh, so you have all the things to drop and it's true. I've heard, you know, of college students even who, who take a semester to do international study, which sounds amazing. They visit like 20 countries in 30 weeks or something like that. And as amazing as it sounds in the outset, they've said, you know, it was so hard because we would go to these incredible places like Barcelona and then we'd have to go back to our hotel room and research an essay and write a paper and spend hours. And then we'd have to find a laundromat because we hadn't washed our clothes in days. And she's like, by the time we were done just caring for student life, we didn't get to see as much of the city as we could have if we could have postponed some of that until, Mm -hmm. you know, a follow-up semester or something. So that makes complete sense that you're like, we're in maintenance mode. We don't want you to forget fractions, Um, you know, (laughs) a lot of the basics, but everything else is, is, we're going to catch it up or we're going to learn it live. And then that's fantastic. But nap time, I never even factored in nap time with a four-year-old. So like, what is your bike setup. I've read your blog, but the listeners here haven't. So can you paint a picture for us, what they look like, what sort of equipment you're packing? Um, so we, we had electric bikes. <laughs> you know no, no, that. no. They were not electric bikes. Uh, it was all just us. And so the two triple tandems, so two bikes that sat three people a piece. So one parent, two kids per bike. Mm-hmm. We each pulled a burly trailer and then we each had four pannier bags and a small cooler And so that basically left one pannier bag per person for all of their possessions for, for for life. And one, one trailer had our sleeping bags and pads and tents. Another one was kind of our kitchen trailer and the toiletries. And then we had a box on top of one of the trailers that had the box of homeschool supplies. And so- We couldn't take a year's worth. It would just be too heavy and onerous. So I had shipped supply boxes across the country, uh, Mm -hmm. and family or friends that we would link up with along the way. And that would include workbooks that they should be ready for by the time we got there and seasonal clothing or the next size of shoes. So, because trying to run errands on bikes, especially when you're mostly rural is incredibly time consuming. Yes. we couldn't always guarantee our, our punctuality with our hoped for schedule to be shipping things ahead to, to right. be, to, to get shoes on the way we could miss it. If, if the shipment got hung up somewhere or if we got hung up somewhere. So I tried to plan as much ahead as possible and have the supplies waiting for us so we could lighten our load because we were super heavy. Yeah. Wow. Planning like shoes a year in advance, even that. I know I love to buy things off season at the end of winter. You know, I'll buy the kids winter boots for the next year, even though it's now 
60 degrees outside. We don't need them anymore. But I even then have a hard time figuring out shoe sizes, but you were really committed to whatever you shipped. You're like, well, that's the size you've got. So <laughs> hope it fits. <laughs> um, but I was even thinking about you the other day when I was putting together some thoughts for our podcast, because my son's math book is substantial. And I'd have, I would not want to carry just that in a backpack on a hike, let alone everything else I need to survive. Um, so were you like ripping apart math books into sections or f- scanning them or like logistically, how did you do that? Uh, my husband very dutifully scanned the teacher's manuals, which are the biggest bulk. And okay. so that was all PDFs and we could access that on Kindles or l- the little tablet. And right. But for the uh, kiddos, because I'd heard you talk about that part, but like if they needed worksheets or problem solutions, or were you just rewriting them based off the teacher manuals? Uh, some of that would happen, yes, with, within the, the little spiral notebook. And then others, we just, the workbooks are often split into part one or part two, and that's what I would split mm. up across the shipments. Mm, very creative. Okay, so if I'm putting myself in your pedals, which... You are incredibly brave, so I don't even know that I can do that. Um, but you're on the road. You're a few weeks into it. At what point, if ever, did you have a moment of doubt or wonder if you should turn back or any sort of secondary reality check that you're like, oh, I don't know if this is really what I want to do for another 10 months? Um, yes, or was absolutely. it really something you were excited about the whole time? No, no, no. There there were low points. Uh, so before we got into the rain shadow in Washington state, cause we started in Seattle and went all the way across to Washington DC and then hooked back to Houston, Texas. Hmm. And the first, the, we'd done all this research on weather and the all, farmer's almanac said that the Pacific Northwest was supposed to have a drier and warmer spring. And then it was wetter, the record breaking wetness. And so the first oh. two weeks were almost daily rain and we're looking and we're trying to set up camp in the rain, take it down yes. in the rain. What have we chosen for ourselves? Mm. Uh, and then even when we were on the East coast and they, and again, we thought we had mapped ourselves out seasonally to avoid unbikable weather and they had record breaking snow and cold 30 degrees oh. below average. And we were like, maybe, maybe this is the time to stop. Maybe we should just get, (laughs) (laughs) but then every time we would get to that point, there would be some clouds parting event where you're, you're renewed and okay, we Mm -hmm. can keep going. And you had sold, if I recall from, from Rebecca telling me about this, you'd sold your home in Seattle and you actually didn't know where you were going to live next. Wasn't this part of your journey was discovering, Hey, where do we want to move or where do we, what, what area of the country do we enjoy or, or where was home base for you or was there a home base? Because we both grew up in the military, our families are scattered all across the country. So there really mm-hmm. is no home base for us. And mm-hmm. the timing of the uh, exit from the military wasn't exactly what we had foreseen. So we hadn't put a lot of thought to it. And so we actually were renters in Seattle, but we owned a home in New Mexico. So selling that was necessary for, we couldn't have that financial vulnerability and be able to go on this lean budget trip. So we we did sell that and all of our, we purged our possessions tremendously to minimize our storage needs. And we sold Mm -hmm. our vehicle. We so then in some ways that was kind of a good, it was like the Vikings burning their ships when they would go into battle. (laughs) Yes. 
there was no way for us to turn back because we had nothing to return to. <laughs> yes. Burn the ships. That is absolutely the picture. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so then while I'm sure there were moments of like wet camping gear, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and we did a two week camping trip across Canada as a child and it rained every day. And yeah, there's just something soul breaking after a while of putting it up in the wet, taking it down in the wet. Everything is wet. Everybody's cold, hungry, etc. Um, but I imagine there are also some really great highlights of your trip. So what are a few of your favorites? Uh, it's really hard to narrow down. It I'm was sure. one whole <laughs> year. We, yeah. Uh, once we got to Mont, I mean, once we got out of the, it, into the rain shadow of Washington, it was, everything started improving. I mean, morale skyrocketed because we're warm and it's sunny. <laughs> and yes. Friends, friends met up with us and, and then we started to really encounter strangers in a fantastic way. We camped at a, an elderly farm on an elderly farmer's orchard. And we said, we're not going to be able to make it to our destination tonight. Is there any way we could just camp on your farm? And he was totally fine with that. And, and, and ad, oh yeah, why have other cyclists come through? And that, yeah, I do this all the time. And so we helped clean out his raspberry canes because our joints were much younger. And to, as a thank you for letting us stay here because it was hmm. helpful. Uh, but there's, it was just, the human kindness was so abundant and so moving that by taking the break from the the grind we had created for ourselves and really getting like, having time for people and meeting mm -hmm. people and being able to go this slower pace and see things it just it really it changed us very positively in terms of how how we view our fellow man, what we expect from our fellow man, and then also convicted us that we need to be those people also to others. Hmm. So what were some of the areas of the country that you spent time in where the people, I mean, it's hard because you can't have an entire city of nice people necessarily, right? But like, what were some parts of the country where you entered and you thought, wow, we could really live here, not necessarily because of the geography or the weather, but just the people here are so great. They're just so authentic and thoughtful and etc. Uh, I, I think that really, there was multiple places and we kind of joked that we were, when Amazon was looking for its second headquarters, we kind of fancied that, well, we're looking for our headquarters. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, off the list or you're on the list. Uh, yes. West, Western Montana was the first place that really struck us that way, that in terms of how many people would just come up to us and talk to us? I mean, we're pulled over on the side of an interstate because for bridges, we're limited to what roads we can take when you have to mm -hmm. cross a river. And the truck drivers are, we have a 10 foot shoulder and they're still pulling over and the boys are pumping their arms and they're honking for us. And <laughs> we, we, we pull over to put on sunblock and this truck pulls over and is like, I've been seeing you the last couple of days and I just wanted to shake your hand. <laughs> and that's awesome. So there were multiple places like that where, uh, Michigan was really, really outgoing and friendly. Montana was, and yeah, it was, it, but I think that there was something to be said for, we posed little threat. We were, Wisconsin was super friendly too. We, we can't, we can't, 
swindle you because we can't escape very fast. <laughs> <We can't, laughs> yeah. There aren't there aren't many criminals. View of, of your toothbrushes. That's all we can fit on board. <laughs> and yeah. not many criminals have children in tow. So yes. Uh, Louisiana was, it was funny. We would get these cat calls from the road and people are waving and it was, and it just became this automatic where there'd be this almost wave in unison from the bikes. (laughs) 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 Uh, So there, people would ask us in Wisconsin, we were approached on the way to, we were chugging up a hill and this woman comes up alongside us on her bike. She was riding to the post office and she, we get to talking about what we're doing because it's at the time we viewed it as what's the big deal? Like people have walked across this country during westward expansion. Surely we can ride mm-hmm. bikes with our smartphones. And <laughs> <laughs> so, and now we look back on it and we see the pictures of how little the kids were. We're like, ah, I think we deserve some of the looks and feedback we got. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but they feel and, bigger at the time, though. I understand that. My four year old at the time of being four, I felt like she was capable of a great deal. Now I look back and shake my head at myself, like, what was I thinking? Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, then she that. tracked us down at the campsite and she's like, oh, I already did the first loop and I was going to go to the next one if I didn't find you, but I should have offered you our lake cabin. And she's like, you can stay up for two days if you want. I mean, just this inherent mm. kindness and trust. And we got, she had kayaks we could use in the little, in the lake. And it was, the kids were just so in awe that these complete strangers would come up to us and give us these gifts of, mm. of their of sharing their space and their time and plenty of people we were riding in Kentucky and it was hot and so hilly. And this woman comes out from her door. She's like, do you want to join us for Sunday supper? And, and I was like, there's it's more marvelous. of us. You don't even see all of us. She's like, That's fine. We've got plenty. So we pulled uh, over and we had Sunday supper with this family and it was a birthday celebration also. So it was, there, it was the small things, the small gestures, in addition to the big opportunities that made the trip what it was. And I, I don't know. So we, you saw a side of America that we only read about in books, right? That big front porch, everybody's your neighbor, yeah, you know, love your neighbor kinds of um, attitudes that I feel like used to be really small town prevalent because so many towns were small towns, right? But as we've become more transient as a culture, it seems like that has begun to disappear, but how encouraging to hear from your story that it's still there. It's still very vibrant uh, and certainly in pockets of communities of the U.S. that sometimes are dismissed for being small towns. It's like, no, there's something there that we all wish we had and there's a value to it. So I think that's one of the more beautiful sides of your story that I love. Um, well, it seems like you you mentioned, or go ahead. I would say in addition with us seeking out our headquarters location, uh, we we could ask people questions. So what are your schools like here? What do you guys do for recreation? And mm-hmm. what like how would what, what how does the community come together and just get a more inside scoop than you can get from an internet page or yep. driving through and stopping at a rest area. So it was it was good in terms of just getting the distinctions of culture and regions of the United States. Yeah. 
Well, I won't ask you which cities you wanted to shake the dust off your sandals when you left. We'll, we'll leave that alone. But <laughs> it seems like, though, you talked about smartphones. You maintained a creative balance between survival and then also civilization, keeping family and friends updated on your blog, which, by the way, for listeners, is dandelionsandtumbleweeds.com, but also avoiding the luxuries of things we take for granted so often, like hot showers or a dry bed. So we've talked about this a little bit, but what what did you really learn about people after juxtaposing both of those worlds as well as how we live and what's important about our lives? Uh, I think <sighs> Nate, having been deployed into third world countries, would always come back a little bit frustrated with the wealth and materialism that we take for granted here in terms of seeing how kids have to be, have to sell wares just to eat that night and they're not getting educated Mm -hmm. and how big our kids were in comparison to the same age kids in different areas because our kids are (laughs) well-fed. So it's, and then to how we really take for granted the wealth of our country and the quality of life that comes with that. And I, I didn't, I don't know. I, I think having a grateful heart really contributes to your fulfillment and happiness in life. But mm-hmm. if you're always wanting more and it's you're never content, I think it's hard to be grateful. So we wanted to impress upon our kids that we're fine as long as we're together. If we all work together, everything we're, everything else falls into place. And we don't have to have a big house. We don't have to have all of these things. And that was kind of magical, the Christmas that we spent, we were in Kitty Hawk and we had an Airbnb for Christmas Eve and, uh, we, we stay two, we stay two or three evening, three nights. And the kids over Thanksgiving, when we were watching a, a goat farm for people had gone to all this effort to make gifts for each other. I mean, the budget mm-hmm. was low. I spent less than $20 per kid on Christmas because we didn't have the money or the ability to store stuff. And right. they're making bookmarks for each other and airplanes. And and they were so giddy on Christmas Eve for Christmas morning for their siblings to see what they had made for each other. Hmm. And, and that was, whereas usually at once, at least in my case, the, the accumulation of gifts kind of sneaks up on me. And so then we, when it's all under the tree at Christmas time, you're like, really, was this a little bit overkill? <laughs> so, so Where are we going to put all this stuff? Right. Yeah. I'm like, is this going to be like, what was I thinking? I'm just going to battle having this stuff picked up as well. Uh, so seeing that they were still able to find this joy with with men, again, all of our possessions fit on these bikes or in the trailers we pulled. They had nothing else and they treasured it and they were so happy to give. And that was one of the goals was when we have the comforts back, we need to appreciate them and not take them for granted and know mm-hmm. that even if the comforts go away, we can still be happy and we can still be healthy and we still are a solid family. Mm-hmm. There is a sort of freedom from having less, which is really hard, I think, as Americans, especially for us to understand because we have so much. And we look at pictures, like you're saying, of Nate and developing nations. We're like, wow, how could these children be so happy with so little? And um, and yeah, to not have the burden of stuff. Um, 
there there is a value there. Our family experienced something much less than what you're describing for your adventure, but we had our own adventure from um, 2017, honestly, to 2020, which is how your story came up with a friend of mine. She's like, oh, you need to read this blog. You'll be so encouraged uh, because we had a sewer pipe break in our house in Seattle. And in a moment, we lost our home. Um, and so we, as I read your blog about, you know, the times where you stayed in hotels and what a luxury that was to have breakfast and hot showers. It's like, yeah, it, it really is. We uh, moved 16 times and I want to say three weeks. Is that possible even? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Uh, because it had happened in summer and our insurance company couldn't find a place for us to live. And so it, every day it was ho- loading it all back up into the car and and taking it back and trying to find a laundromat. And like, it was survival mode, but, but for us, it was that similar lesson that you're mentioning of, you know what, we really, we really didn't need all that stuff. And we really do have each other. And while we miss home and miss some of the comforts of that, um, we're experiencing something different right now. And that's a good different, mm-hmm. and which sounds like a lot like your story that you've expressed as well. Yes. So then when you talk about your kids on your blog, you have really fun names for all your family members, which I'd love for you to tell us here what they are. And, and where did those names come from and why did you use them? Uh, we used them because I was trying to protect their privacy long-term, mm. trying to respect that we all know the internet content is permanent. <laughs> Yes. So when they're four and 10, they may consent to being published, but when, will they still agree with that when they're 20 or 30? Um, because I do put on occasion embarrassing anecdotes of things that were just so funny or in the moment that are memories I cherish, but they may not want attached to them. Mm -hmm. 20 years from now. Yes. That's thoughtful of you. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. We do the same for our kids. Their faces are never on my, any of my media because it's their story. They get to decide later and I totally agree, but keep going. So you, so you have these names. How did you pick them though? Cause they're really fun. You've got like Otter and Big Mo or like your, your she, name for your husband is hilarious. Like old, old man. Old man. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and then my oldest daughter is sissy but we called her that at home but there's no real that's a common nickname for an older sister so it wasn't identifiable to her and Mm. otter was otter he did his nickname at home wouldn't have been much of a leap to figure out his real name (laughs) so yes uh we changed that to he's got super thick head of hair and it's kind of an ongoing joke in the family that it's like an otter pelt or a beaver pelt that you have to (laughs) you have to really move it to get it wet all the way to the roots that's so so funny um and 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 we ran them by them and they were all fine with it and then my other son is tango because my husband i swear has five different nicknames for him and that's the one that he chose to have on the blog and then Mo started out as little Mo, but then when she turned five on the bike tour, she decided she wanted to be called big Mo. (laughs) That's great. So yeah, those are really fun names. And, and what do you, what do your kids think of the trip? You know, and we could, we could do a spectrum on this question. What did they think prior to leaving? How did that perspective change while on the trip? And then once it was over, how was that different? Uh, I think that we really had the benefit of age where there's a lot of challenges by having these younger kids who are not fully or in some cases at all self-sufficient. Uh, but they, they're at an age where they just trust you and they accept the normal that you present to them. Mm-hmm. So they, 
it was always known we weren't going to stay in Seattle, that we would leave. And so that wasn't a huge shock. It wasn't as though that was sprung on them and they've been here since they were born and that would, would have been much harder for them. And we weren't at, we've always been really restrictive with devices and technology. So that wasn't a tremendous loss to be in that sort that, that that way of life and everyone loved the bike tour in the San Juans. So they, they didn't challenge it at all. They were fully on board, but I will say that our four-year-old's world was completely rocked once we were truly in it. And it would, it was kind of funny. We would, you could tell on the days that she, she herself was questioning, why are we doing this? Because she, <laughs> we would pass a house with the for sale sign in front and she'd be like, that yes. house is for sale. Why don't we buy that, that house? <laughs> yes, I can, I can imagine. So, but in the end, I think that while all the kids, when, when it was time to end the adventure, we were all ready for the adventure to end. Mm-hmm. And, but the, we, I kind I did throughout the blog, a, what do you miss most from regular life? What do you like most about this? What are you looking forward to next? And then at the end, I did a reverse of now that we're landed, what do you miss from the bike tour? <laughs> what do you mm-hmm. like about our, our normal life again? And all of them, it was the meeting of people and the experiences we got to do along the way. But there were certainly days of disinclination that you feel like you're just as the parent pedal, pedal. <laughs> <laughs> So for them, it was the, the pedaling was a necessary means to an end to get to meet these people. And, and, and there was also some sense of triumph that when we would go over mountain passes that it wasn't fun getting there, but it felt so awesome knowing that you had achieved that. Hmm. So, and does, I imagine that changes their perspective too on challenges going forward. You talked about, you know, resiliency and endurance in your blog. I mean, once you've truly climbed a mountain on a bike with a trailer, you sit down after you get home a year and a half later or whatever it is. And, and they say, I don't want to do this assignment. I can't do this. You're like, okay, so remember that mountain we biked up. <laughs> right. How often does that come back into your day to day? Uh, it, it does definitely in parenting where the point of we all have to contribute for the family's success. So, and we would revisit the times when I would have to snarl to pedal because remember, remember when you didn't pedal on that hill, how, how the rest of us were, it it hurt the rest Mm -hmm. of us. That's, that's the nature of a family. We all have to give. And that's the nature of school too. You, sometimes it's not fun, but you kind of have to grin and bear it and get through it. And then you get to some reward at the end. Hmm. So then how do you think this experience has shaped you guys as a family? Cause you mentioned your husband's military. So I imagine from time to time he's having to travel for work. Um, now you guys are spending all this really, really quality time together. I mean, assume you're not all extroverts. Uh, I assume there were some introverts in the mix too going, can I just be by myself on a bike for a couple hours? <laughs> right. So how has this shaped you guys as a unit, as a team? Uh, I think it's, it definitely bonded us as a family unit and the kids, I think it really cemented their friendships with each other. I mean, they still squabble and have conflict from time to time, but generally they enjoy each other's company because for a year they were the only consistent peers that each other had. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as the introversion, my husband was the one that struggled the most and it was kind of comical because I, 
at the onset of homeschooling and you're trying to invent this wheel and it's so consuming Mm -hmm. and you don't, but then you have all these kids that for whom the homeschooling will benefit, but they're interrupting you and you're like, I can't think. (laughs) So, and I would, I would share that sentiment and he would always look a little bit confused as to, well, when do I get this downtime? So then now that he's with us 24 seven, he, he's like, it never ends, Melanie. You can't think. There's always somebody. And I'm like, like yes, yes. Welcome to my life. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he would, get, he, he would get up an hour earlier than the rest of us just to have quiet time to himself. Yes. I get that. I'm sort of picturing him like, you know, the scene in Forrest Gump, run, Forrest, run. You like the beard flapping in the wind. Yeah. Were you guys getting pretty shaggy by the end of all this? Or were you able to stop at farmhouses and rest stops and all that to just feel... I don't know. I feel human again when I'm all scrubbed clean, but, um, so one of the things, well, we occasionally would do, uh, hotel stays to kind of reset hygiene, but also to run errands to include Costco, which was always comical. It was kind of like the, the Volkswagen at Ikea. Wow. Costco. What would you buy there? I'm trying Uh, to think. We would buy roast chicken. Uh, that day we would eat really well, but yes. Uh, with a rotisserie chicken or, uh, but we would get the oatmeal packets, the instant oatmeal packets. Cause they were right. significantly cheaper and lightweight. Uh, we would get I'm trying to think of pop tarts because that was always good in a pinch and granola bars, but the, that the makes bulk, sense. uh, bulk things like that. But we would, there was, a, there's an organization called warm showers.org and it's people who sign up to host touring cyclists. And we had never heard about that. That's fantastic. We had written it off that there's too many of us who, who, what crazy person's going to host a family of six. (laughs) And, but then when we got to Western Montana, this retired couple flagged us down on the side of the road. Like we're with warm showers. We, we do, we've done this. We've toured. We would love to host you. And you know, on the car, the cars movie where the cars, that accidentally get lost and show up in radiator springs and they, yes. bleep, bleep, they, they bleep each other like, Hey, yes. Toad, let's Locked get out of here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm doing that with my husband trying to blink. Yes. So, <laughs> we're not, we're not staying at, we're not putting our four kids in this stranger's house. And, yes. and he is completely oblivious to my coding. <laughs> and, sure. We'll stay at your house. And that opened up this whole new world where we were getting these true, immersions in these local areas with these families. And some of these people aren't even interested in cycling. They're doing it (laughs) to to pay forward because their son did this and people hosted him. And so they want to reciprocate Mm. the kindness and a family in North Dakota, they recognize how isolated they are geographically and want for their daughter to meet people from other backgrounds. Mm. And so the, but the, the hospitality was, it was so refreshing and restorative and and so that we would get showers and we could do laundry and have a place indoors to sleep and that's not always standard i think that was again people took pity on the kids and were like yes yes you could you <laughs> yeah. can sleep on the basement floor uh, but we had tents we could have easily slept in tents on their lawn uh, so that was campgrounds we would shower campgrounds and we would have to pull over for a laundromat weekly because we didn't have that many clothes. But I think our, our hygiene standards 
definitely reduced. Sure. I think I would have stopped shaving my legs a good part into it, but yeah, maybe that's TMI for the podcast, but no, like that's, there's a lot that you just, I'm sure give up along the way. You're like, yeah, just, I'm not carrying that with me for 12 months. Nope. (laughs) No longer a necessary piece of equipment. Um, that's funny. And if I remember too, reading on your blog, you said you guys actually made some genuine friends along the way that you've gone back after the trip was over to visit, right? Or to take care of their farms or goats or, or what was that again? Yeah. So several, we've, uh, the, the family in North Dakota, when we've driven across country since to visit our extended family, we've stopped off to see them. And, uh, the goat farmers in Western Montana, we farm sat for them twice so they could go visit their kids across the country. And, and that really, and, uh, a mother of one of Nate's friends and former coworkers lives in Southern Indiana. And she was kind of our hero one day because we didn't, we, our bikes broke down and we were far from a bike shop and she came and picked us up and we stayed with her on numerous occasions on different travels and hmm. stay and stay in touch to this day. But what did she pick you up in? Cause you're in three seater bikes. So I'm trying to think like bike racks, they're not going to fit on there. Correct. Did she have to rent a U-Haul or how did she no, pick you guys up? Uh, she came and picked us up in her car and Nate had gotten a U-Haul to take the bikes to a repair shop. Gotcha. And, and then he, then we did the, the shuttling back and forth to get all of us in one spot. But, uh, yeah, since so, she was super laid back and stay as long as you need. And we were always trying to be careful to not take advantage of those, that generosity. But there, a, a man we met in Montana who was from Indiana, we linked up with multiple times afterwards. And he, it, it was, it was fantastic how these people we didn't even know were out there. If they, they became our friends and at times they became what saved us from who knows what could have happened. Mm. Yeah. And so then how were your expectations of the trip different from the trip itself? So we went into the trip kind of hoping it would be this, it was much more inward or isolationist in our mindset that Mm -hmm. most being even our extended family, when we told them about this trip, they all kind of looked at us like, really? And... (laughs) And my, my stepdad was even the one to be like, I was kind of hoping it would just fizzle out. <laughs> and, and then, and That's a dad. Yep. Okay. So he linked up with us twice along the trip and he became one of our biggest cheerleaders. We thought that it was going to be just us. Obviously we can't, ex- no one owes us anything. There was no, there's no obligation for people to rally for us. So we're doing mm-hmm. this to see what we're capable of. What, what can we achieve together as a family? What, uh, let's get some quiet sure, well, military we'll- background, like self-sufficient, right? That's, that's taught early on. So, yeah. So they, that, that was the, the expectation and maybe the goal at the onset was we'll just we're going to be tougher people on the end of this and be proud of what we've achieved. And then in the end, it was, it was all about the encounters and the opportunities that presented themselves along the way that, that really made the trip. And we would be, it would be disingenuous for us to think that we did this all on our own. Hmm. 
And, and so I imagine was, the people who hosted you are still telling stories about there was this family. <laughs> well, that's what's funny with the goat farmers in Montana. She had seen us the day before and on this uh, writing and she was like, what sort of deadbeat dad puts their family through this? <laughs> and she's like, and she's a warm showers host. She's like, I hope they don't call me. And then we did. <laughs> so there, it, there was plenty and there people, you know, they make bikes with motors like we know we know and i guess so, and motor homes and yeah mm-hmm, lots of comfortable ways to cross the country yeah that's great so, but one of the the automatic que- or most common questions was well what are the kids doing for schooling and that mm-hmm. was a go-to for most people and then we yes. would just point to our box of supplies there there's their schooling yeah. so it's just just funny the different takes i mean we did get tons of cheerleading and support, but we also got a lot of sideways looks that we, we were a bit of a clown show. So I don't, I don't hold that against (laughs) them. Like, (laughs) yeah, but honestly, like the kinesthetic experience, I can't think of, I've just never heard a story like this, at least not in the last 75 years of something a family has done to this extent. So it's fabulous. So few adventures then when I'm thinking about your story, few adventures end in, you know, happily ever after, the end and then nothing else happens. Um, it's more like this was the end of this thing by simply beginning a new story. Now we're doing this. So what's happened to your family since the last day on the bikes? You know, where did you end up? What's the answer to the question of, is this our city? And then do you have an idea of what your next adventure might be? Well, we, we took uh, the bike tour was originally forecast to take 15 months, but we completed it in 12. Hmm. So we thought we had this surplus time that we didn't have to return to real life yet. And some people we had met along the way had tipped us off about this cultural exchange program. So we, we took advantage of that for the summer and volunteered in a couple of countries with the kids. And it was really rich for the kids to do that. Uh, what's the program called workaway.info. Okay. And it's, it's more geared towards the single traveler, but with a little bit, again, with a little bit of creativity and just reading through what was most applicable, we were able to find a couple of hosts. And so we helped run an English summer camp mm-hmm. and our kids were the English language models for the peer groups. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, neither side spoke the other's language, but they still were able to play and Mm -hmm. develop a rapport with each other. And another was a homeschooling family in Poland and they are both parents are language teachers in the public school system, but they have, they homeschool their children and they want language models to come through for their studio teaching that they do privately in addition to the public school, but also for their kids. And they also bike tour. So that was almost a perfect match. Hmm. And so it was, we, we took the summer off and did that. And then we came back to job search and we really wanted to go to Western Montana because that's what had every, we all were, there was many beloved areas, but that was one that we all agreed on. And the kids had fallen in love with fall and with goat farming. And that, that was the dream. And I wasn't, I mean, we have no farm skills or experience. We've been suburban and city people our entire existences. And, but I, I jumped on board thinking, well, 
we can't always just take a year off from life. That's a really limited opportunity. Mm-hmm. But we, I want something for the family to still have as a common cause because that I thought was what really made the bike tour so fruitful was we all had to contribute and it was apparent mm-hmm. when someone stopped. And so there, it was naturally correcting. And I thought, I don't want, if we're going to go back to this life of luxuries and comfort, how do we balance that and still have this common purpose and where we don't all scatter like cockroaches in our larger dwelling and do our own thing in our own corner and ignore each other. What's going to bring us together. And given that we have zero experience with livestock or rural living, that's kind of, that's our current adventure is Hmm. we have three dairy goats and 16 chickens and we're figuring it all out together. That sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. So then, Melanie, what are some final thoughts you might have for our friend listening today who perhaps is new to the idea of schooling from home or certainly about how to think about outside of the box of what's possible with our kids and with our families? Uh, I think that I think it can be really intimidating because so often the way everything's presented is as though we have it all figured out. And, and so it's really daunting to take these big leaps, but I guess what we learned from all of this was in terms of homeschooling, it's, there's no homeschool plan. That's exactly the same across families. Everyone has to customize it to some extent to what works for them. And I would say the same, but the, the beauty of homeschooling and the opportunity that I think is available to a lot of homeschoolers is the flexibility it presents. And so you can be outside, you're already outside of the box by homeschooling. You, you can take it further, but you don't have to be this expert or master because that's what people would like, Oh, I couldn't bike. And Nate and I would roll our eyes and be like, we were so out of shape when we started. <laughs> Don't let that deter you. Like you can get in shape. That's that, that corrects itself. That's and funny. so it was like people were like, were you guys competitive athletes? No, no, not at all. Biking. Was Never just climbed something. interest. Not once. No. Never climbed Everest once. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we just, it was something all of us could do and we all enjoyed it. You don't have to be a professional or an expert to do something that your family enjoys and you don't, and the, the flexibility of homeschool really creates an opportunity for you to explore that or pursue it. And I would encourage it. Hmm. Well, Melanie, I can't tell you, thank you enough really for sharing this incredible story with us. What a bike ride, (laughs) what a story. And I suspect you've inspired everybody who's listening to this to think big, whether it's a cross country bike ride or some other way to stretch ourselves beyond our comfort zone to to a plus one or even a plus two. So thank you for making the time to tell this. And absolutely. And I just wanted to add that it doesn't have to be big. I mean, it can be a week long bike tour. It could be a hiking trip. It could just be there's so many different ways to do it on a budget that it doesn't have to be a year long it can be a weekend you know it's so that's i i I, because that's where i think it can be intimidating and i don't Mm. it's it doesn't have to be a big a big deal to be accessible does that make sense got it absolutely start small if you need to and see where it goes absolutely the right encouragement because it can be so big and daunting that it paralyzes us sometimes from even trying or starting something so yeah start something that's great and thank you friend also for joining us today i hope you're walking away from this conversation feeling equipped to better teach the ones you love see you next time thanks for joining ann crossman on our podcast helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts you can do this and we are here to help 
we invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.